Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step recovery programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared experience saves lives. Today my guests are Sandra and Anna, they're members of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous and they'll be sharing their story of recovery from food addiction. So welcome to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. So thanks for coming in Anna. Now what we usually do, we usually start talking about what it's like growing up and the things that were influential to you in your in your life and the things that sort of pointed you towards food or or the or the addiction primarily so would you like to tell us what it was like growing up and um ha- how your fascination with food started yeah well i'm the eldest of a family of five children and um i i, I was born a very sensitive little girl i was shy and um I often felt awkward in a social situation. My siblings were born very soon after me. My mother actually had five children under the age of seven. So it was a chaotic and crazy household, which was also wonderful and a lot of fabulous fun as well. Um, But, yeah, it was really my sensitive nature I believe that I was born an addict. I wanted more, more, more and more. I didn't have an off button. When it came to food, I just wanted to eat more and more food. And um, I was also, I had the other isms of addiction in that I was quite rebellious. I wanted to do things my way. I didn't want to be told at all what to do. Yeah, I certainly didn't want to be told what to do and I wanted to run my own race. But yeah, along with that, I was also, I, w- I was also shy and I, 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 had a low, I was born with a low self-esteem. My mother was really involved in, was really involved in helping me to stay in a right-sized body. So she, she used to police what I was allowed to eat because from a young age I was I would look like I, I might be yeah I might have have a problem with food and so I really had to be very secretive around the food when my mother was preparing dinner I would be in the kitchen with with everybody else and I would sneak out of the mashed potato pot a few spoonfuls of mashed potato put them in a little dish and then hide that in my bottom drawer so that I could eat that later. I would, when I got home from school, I would have to creep up onto the, climb up onto the bench and then very silently open the cupboards and reach right up to the top where the biscuit tins were and um, take the biscuits that I wanted to eat private and, and eat them. I was responsible as well for bringing, home, bringing the bread home 
after school, I'd get off the bus and I'd go into the corner store where our, the order of our bread was and I would pick up a beautiful loaf of white bread and I was always getting into trouble because I would eat the centre of the bread out of the loaf by the time I got home and there would just be this hard kind of shell <laughs> with the middle eaten out. So, yeah. So I, I, I got did, into trouble for that. Yeah. So did it mean that you were getting bigger? Yes, I definitely was getting bigger. And my mother was helping me to go on to diets. I went on my first diet when I was 11, and that was a carbohydrate counting diet that she helped me to go on to. And um, I was quite successful on that diet. I counted all those carbohydrates, and, and I lost weight. And I'm not sure how much it was, but I think it might have been it might have been maybe like five pounds because we, we were working in pounds in those days. And then I went off the diet because I'd lost the weight and went back to eating normally and I put all the weight back on again and then some. And so then I had to find another diet. And what was fashionable at the time was the Israeli army diet and that involved eating apples for two days hard-boiled eggs for two days, salad for two days, and chicken for two days or something along those lines. And I started off on the apples. Uh, but because I had, so, I had so much difficulty sticking to the diet because I just wanted to eat food, um, I kept breaking it. And so I had to go back to day one and get back on the apples. And I ended up eating apples for about two weeks. <laughs> which put me off apples for quite a long time. I'm sure. Well, listen, we might um, go back to Sandra and start with you, Sandra. So what was life like for you growing up? Yeah, thanks, Bill. Um, so life growing up, um, I was an only child. Well, I am an only child. And um, my mum, because I was an only child, always made sure I had lots of friends around me. Um, I grew up with... Um, I, I, I too was really shy. Um, I kind of grew up with this family, one of my mum's closest friends, um, and they were all very, very thin. Their mother was thin, all the kids were thin, and my mum was always on a diet, so my mum carried a bit of weight, and I, I was always very conscious of my weight from my first memories. Um, so... I just remember from the earliest memories being always on a diet with mum um, and then we'd break the diet and so we'd be on this no fat, you know, only salads, um, you know, steamed fish, green beans and then we'd break the diet and be naughty and go to the petrol station and get ultra chocolate ice cream and, you know, like chocolates and um, and, and eat them. So it's kind of, yeah, food for me was loved the food and but then also knew that the food was what was making me a bit overweight. I was always like really self-conscious of my body. I did like dancing from a young age. Um, I was always very tall and so I just so happened I always had like very close friends and they always seemed to be though really short very petite kind of build so to me I just felt really big and my mum's friends would say oh look how big she is and I would just 
want to cringe. I wanted to be. I wanted to be small. I didn't want anyone to notice me. I was very self-conscious. Um, yeah, so um, that was a big part of my early years. Yeah. So was that mainly self low self-esteem? Uh, I guess that's what you call it. Yeah, I had it. I had it from the moment I, I can remember. Um, I even look at photos. And that's why I think I was just born this way. Like, and I was just, when I would smile, I was just embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. there was something, something just not right um, within myself. There was nothing wrong with me. I was perfectly fine. But inside, um, there was something that I didn't feel like I was, I was always comparing myself. That was a huge part of who I was. So, you know, my little friend and I felt big. You know, or I always want to look, you know, watch the movies. I was kind of in a fantasy world, watching the movies and like just observing the world and thinking, oh, that's who I should be. And I'm not that. So I'm no good. Yeah. Um, so what, what was it like at primary school for you then? Uh, yeah, primary school. Um, yeah, I guess me and my friends, we, we all kind of had little boyfriends. That's just kind of who we always are. Um, in that kind of group. Um, and yeah, but so I guess you'd come home from school with one of my friends and we'd cook. I was always known as the cooking house. I loved cooking from, from such a young age. Um, and so we'd cook pizzas, we'd cook cakes. Um, yeah, but then I guess... On two occasions, really stand out. I, I too, it's funny with Anna's story. My dad would buy a big loaf, round Italian bread, and I would be in the back of the car and eat the whole centre and leave just the crusty shell. Um, my mum, for I think for my eleventh birthday, made a massive lasagna, like a huge tray of lasagna, and I ate. I just started eating it. And no one had arrived, and I ate another piece and another piece, and I, and I ate the whole tray of lasagna. Um, and then I was so full that I went and threw up. Um, so that's where I discovered my bulimia, um, that I discovered that I could throw up my food. Um, and be so because I had this kind of body image stuff and, you know, always wanting to be in the cool group with the cool friends and um, – yeah, I just secretly started to, if I overate, I would throw up my food. Um, and it wasn't all the time, but then it just slowly, slowly progressed. Um, yeah, I found going to high school quite traumatic. Um, my mum sent me to a private all-girls school. None of my friends were there, and, and I found it hard to make friends. And I was just, yeah, I was kind of lost and... Um, it was the first time I, I, I actually went off food. I was so so sad that I, I just couldn't eat. But then I got my appetite back and, and then I would, I would watch this friend. I had a very close friend and she would eat like an ice cream and I'd eat the ice cream. And then, but I'd have to somehow, like after we'd done that, sneak into her cupboard at her house, eat more food and then go and throw it up. Like I just, oh, it was just baffling to me that people could just, Stop. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. yeah. But I don't, it was just, it was just something I had to do. Like I, when I started, I had to keep going and then I would get rid of it. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I'll go, I'll swap back to um, Anna. So Anna, what was, what was secondary school like for you? 
was it different? You know, did you did you have any particular challenges? Um, I, I was very lucky. I went to a very good um, secondary school, a private school. I, I was, like I said, the eldest of a family of five kids, and my three younger sisters went to that same school. So there was a lot of support at the school. Um, the, the the challenges were really of my own making. Um, in, t- in terms of food, I was getting fatter and I discovered that I could starve myself. I could not eat for three days at a time and I could um, lose weight and control myself. I, I also always had underlying, I had the I'm not good enough, um, I hate myself dialogue going on and that made me sort of push hard to be um to be the best and uh I did get a lot of good opportunities as a result of that I had the lead part in the school play I was a house captain I was a prefect but all the time struggling with um feeling like I'm not good enough and with my weight increasing and shrinking and increasing and shrinking as I starved binged starved binged and started on the trajectory which would continue on for the rest of my life. Until, well, yeah, until I came into FA, a, a very difficult treadmill of really never, ever, always starving myself and never feeling like, like I could really eat the way I wanted to eat, binging but never actually really binging the way I really wanted to binge and back to starving and binging and starving and binging, yeah, with no off button. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll swap back to you, Sandra. So, in in secondary school, then, if you're, you know, finding it difficult to fit in, what what helped you to f- feel like you fit fitted in? Uh, well, I finally, yeah, made made my best friend. I I just seem to have a story where I, at different periods of my life, have had a close friend and. I've got a very addictive personality, so I think I even, you know, just as soon as I had my friend, although I think they call it codependence, then I was okay. So um, had my friend, um, and then I, um, yeah, I guess got into um, quite young. I because um, I had that self hatred. Um, I discovered probably cigarettes, alcohol at fourteen. Um, and then that pretty soon led into drugs. So, you know, I was going along doing school and binging and, and throwing up my food. Um, and then these, I remember the first time I actually um, took chemical drugs. The whole appeal for me was that the guy who gave it to us said, oh, you, you're not going to feel hungry when you have this. And I was just like, Wow. And, and so we're in some strange house, I mean, took some chemical drugs and then I went straight to this strange person fridge and opened the door to look inside to see if I felt hungry. And I, I didn't and I just thought, wow, this is the answer for me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite sad because I just followed the drugs because the drugs were going to get me skinny because up until then I had kind of just always had a little bit of weight on. Um, because I threw up, I could actually eat the way I wanted. I could eat and eat and eat and throw up and eat and throw up and eat and throw up, but that always left you a bit puffy and not how I wanted to be. So 
those chemical drugs really made got me really thin. Um, and then I started to get the comments from people saying, wow, you look so skinny. And they were worried for me. Um, the way I interpreted that was, um, oh, you know, like I must be okay. Um, I don't, th- I don't think I mentioned, but yeah, the, with the with the kids that I grew up when I was young, they used to kind of tease me, and they had like a little nickname for me, and it, you know, kind of included fat and belly, and um, so I kind of had that in my head, a tape, my whole life, saying you're so fat, you're so ugly, you'll never have a boyfriend, um, and because the little boyfriend I went to, my little boyfriend in primary school kept breaking up with me, so this tape then just ruled my whole life. So by the time I'm 16 and taking drugs, part of me is going, you're so fat, you're so ugly, nobody ever wants to be with you. And then I'm getting into these situations with, you know, the wrong kind of people, the wrong kind of men, and um, and they're, you know, thinking that I'm attractive. Um, so it was really quite... Um, yeah, it wasn't very, it wasn't good at all where I ended up. And it was all in the name of being skinny. I just felt like when people said, you're so skinny, I'd think, don't say it, don't say it. I'm going to lose it because it was so important to me. And they say in our program in Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, like, um, you know, we use food as a drug. So the food was covering that low self-esteem. But also when I become very skinny to the point of being underweight, that's also a drug for me and it's it's like it's like cocaine itself just that feeling of it giving making me feel very powerful um and invincible so i mean i ended up leaving school um you know just to follow that road of drugs and skinny um so obviously not the the best choice um and yeah so it it probably it just got worse and worse until I, I, I hit my rock bottom um, and found recovery at 21. Okay. Well, so we might stop there. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. So you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. We have over 100 episodes of the show available as podcasts on our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree, so you can check them out if you want. You can also send us a message and you can contact 3CR on 9419 8377 or email us at 3 free at gmail.com and we're also on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. I'm talking with Sandra and Anna and we're talking about recovering from food addiction with the help of food addicts in Recovery Anonymous. So Anna, would you like to tell us a bit about coming out of 
teenage years and sort of moving into the work environment and the sort of things that were issues to you at that point and how you were coping with those sort of stresses? Mm, okay, yeah. So I, um, I left school and I actually moved shortly afterwards. I moved to, Austra- to Australia from my home. <laughs> from my home. Um, and, yeah, I, I studied clothing and textile design. And during that time, my um, my disease was was very rampant, and I was really starving myself to stay in a right sized body. And this was all all um, founded around my belief that I'm not good enough, that I'm not okay exactly as I am, and I have to be be really skinny to be acceptable. Um, like I said, I'm. I've got a tendency to be a perfectionist. I want everything to be absolutely perfect. And looking looking out into the world, I saw a lot that wasn't okay. And certainly, I saw a lot that wasn't wasn't okay um, with me. I mean, there was a lot of good stuff that happened. It was really super fun going to fashion school. I had a, an instant um, group of friends who were all as crazy as as I was. And I remember being in a cab one day um, with my girlfriend and the cab driver said, are you girls going to a fancy dress? And we looked at each other and said, no, <laughs> um, no. But then we, we looked at our outfits and we realised, yeah, wow, we do look pretty out there and crazy. <laughs> and so he could be forgiven for thinking that. What are the sorts of things that uh, you were doing to try to keep your weight under control? So at that time I had discovered a guy called Norman Vincent Peel, I think his name was, and he recommended drinking carrot juice to control your weight and also to have a healthy body. And so I decided that that was a brilliant idea and what I was going to do to control my weight was, was yeah, was drink carrot juice. So I'd go down to the green grocer, I'd buy a 20-kilo bag of carrots, drag it back to my apartment, and then for three weeks I'd live on carrot juice, and I literally did turn orange. And, yeah, that helped to keep me in a right-sized body, but, of course, it wasn't sustainable. The other thing that I would do is my mum would come and visit me from New Zealand, and I would um, say to her, she'd arrive on a Monday, and I'd say to her, we're going to have dinner on Thursday. And I literally meant that, that we wouldn't be having anything to eat until Thursday. And what we would do is just drink cappuccinos, go shopping. And then when we felt a little bit hungry, we would walk through the food court at David Jones, the beautiful food court at David Jones in the city, and have what we called a visual lunch. So we would just look at the food but not eat it. So, yeah, that was the sort of insanity uh, that was that I that my eating was it was extreme it was all or nothing, which I guess was a little bit like uh, my personality at the time was. And since coming into food addicts and recovery, I've learned um, through putting some serious structure in my life to have a more balanced approach. But I certainly didn't understand the word moderation. People would say to me, "Just have one," and I would be like, "One." Um, because I literally couldn't do it. We have a saying in FA where we say an open packet is an empty packet, and that was certainly true for me. I would go to the um, the service station to fill my car up, and the attendant would say, 
when um, when I went to the counter, did you know that you can get two of these family size blocks of chocolate for the price of one at this point? And I would think, wow, that's a really good deal. I think I'll get the two. And I would get the two. And then in the car on the way home, I would eat not one, but two blocks of chocolate, never admitting to myself when I was purchasing them that I would do that. I was always getting them for my family or some to have later, but I could never do it. I would have one piece and that would set up an uncontrollable craving and I would just have to eat the whole block, which was really very embarrassing because that would happen in public as well. So did you do other things like exercise? Was that part of your life? Yes, certainly. I, I I did exercise. In the early part of my life, I did yoga and a lot of walking. Later in my life, to try to control my weight, I did long distance running. So I started um, with a half marathon and did a lot of training. And you have to do a lot of training to be able to run a half marathon properly. And um, I ended up doing seven half marathons, five city to surfs, and actually running a full marathon as well. And running a full marathon is 41 kilometers, or 42 kilometers actually. It's a very long way. And I was actually quite heavy when I ran that race. I was about 80 kilos, and um, I was certainly very slow doing it. I think my time was about five and a half hours. So if you can imagine running for five and a half hours to try to stay in a right-sized body, it was it really was a, an absolute nightmare. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> it was a total nightmare. And through that time as well, it really taught me the lesson that exercise plays a very small part in staying in a right-sized body like I actually put on eight kilos during during the five year period that I w- that I was doing that that running. Yeah. So yeah. amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, so back to you, Sandra. So in in your early twenties, then you you left school. You were doing um, drugs and alcohol and eating. So when did any intervention start to try and stop all that? Um, I guess. Yeah. My. I was eating and throwing up, yeah, from my young age, but probably noticeably when I was, once I got into the drugs and alcohol, because I would literally just eat and eat and eat in front of my friends, maybe if we'd, you know, taken some drugs, then go to the bathroom and throw it up um, and then come back and eat more. Um, or I'd do that at farm, family functions. Um, so I know there are some beliefs that are very secretive, but because, yeah, once I got the alcohol in me, I would like drink to black out, um, and then eat to, yeah, until I was sick. So, um, it was all a mishmash. Um, so I did have like some of my close friends confronting me, um, saying, you know, like, are you throwing up your food? Um, and I would just deny it and just say, no, no, don't know what you're talking about. No. And my mum, my mum took me to some eating um, disordered clinics because she could hear me. Like I would eat and then go into the bathroom and turn the taps on, you know, to try and cover the sound and had all these like tricks um, that I thought I was getting away with. Um, So mum, I mean, I'd go to those eating places that mum would take me, but I'd just lie and and say that's not what I was doing. Um, So, but it all progressively got worse and worse. And I I got to the point where I was um, I was eating and throwing up up to ten times a day. Um, my eating would always be at night, 
Um, so I'd like work hard in the day and con control, restrict, smoke cigarettes, drink black coffee, um, munch on little gummy lollies um, and try to not eat, not eat, not eat. And then at night I would go to Coles. I worked in the hospitality industry, so I'd go to like Coles or a supermarket late at night. Um, I'd say hi to everyone because I was always – I was quite thin and um, so I was like – I lived this crazy double life. Say hi to everyone, buy bags and bags of food, and then start eating all the way home. Um, so it was restrict in the day, binge at night, um, get home and start cooking and binging and purging and binging and purging. And I'd, I'd always, I'd in the end, I just didn't want to wake up. I just, it would be like, I would be praying that I wouldn't wake up and then I would and the nightmare of, oh, my gosh, here we go again another day and then it will be right, never going to do that again, making the promises, um, go to work, work hard, restrict my food, smoke my cigarettes, drink my coffee. Um, so living that cycle um, and then at, I, I say I had my midlife crisis at 20, 21. At about 20 I started to realise that I had spent from age 11 to 20 with my head down the toilet. And um, I was getting visions of like, I just can't keep doing this. Like, and um, I've got to end it. Like, I can't keep doing this. And um, so I guess the denial was starting to lift. Um, my world started to collide. I started to eat at work. And it was kind of like I thought there was no problem. If I could restrict in the day and binge at night, what problem? There is no problem. But then, yeah, eating at work, and I remember I think I started to binge and purge at work and the shame and fear of people hearing, you know, me throw up at work. I just, and in the hospitality industry, I was so embarrassed and thank you, God, that was my rock bottom I needed. And um, I finally went to my mum and said, mum, I, like I admitted, and to my best friend. It was so scary to admit that this is that I had a problem um and it was funny I was going overseas and um I had the, the the trip booked and so once I admitted I had a problem I was like okay right well I'll go to a rehab for two weeks because the book the the holiday was planned two weeks away um and then I'll be better and I'll live happily ever after, you know. So, and when I called the, we, we made inquiries to, to this rehab and they said it's, it's probably going to take more than two weeks. Um, <laughs> so they suggested that I come back from the trip and, and book in for six weeks. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's where it all began. I mean, going on that trip, we call it a geographical, like it was like, okay, I'll go on that trip and I'll be back in control and I won't, I, I'll stop doing it. And, you know, for, for, you know, a day or so, like, you could kind of control it. But then I'd end up, I'd, I'd say, because I was so obsessed with being skinny, I'd say to my father, you tell my family I'm not eating any fat, I'm not eating you, no fat on the salad, no dressing, none of their, like, their recipes. Um, and then... And then at night, so I'd be restricting my food with them. And then at night, everyone would go to sleep, and I'd get up and eat all the food in the in the fridge, and binge and purge and binge and purge, and you know then have to go out and replace it. Um, Crazy. So, <laughs> so that that's yeah. So I came back from that trip, 
went into this rehab and, um, I mean, it was a miracle. I went from throwing up every day to, you know, not throwing up. for, And, and that's where it began for me. That was the first step. Um, I mean, I was still still probably overeating. Um, I was still smoking. I was still, you know, drinking and taking drugs, but it all begun there, just not throwing up. And, and um, I got in, in that rehab, I got introduced to my first 12-step program for food. Um, and it was really great. Like it was a loving, supporting um, place. There were a lot of women. And because in my story, I I did end up in some really probably dangerous situations with men, so I feel like I I, I had it. I got a higher power. We talk about a higher power in this store, in our program, and my higher power kept me safe. and And within that fellowship, um, I just slowly began to heal and you know stop the drugs and stop the smoking and stop the drinking. Um, but you know, and it stopped the throwing up. But I couldn't get out of the kitchen. I couldn't go probably three days without overeating um and and then I wasn't throwing up but you know yeah I was still not free not free until I found um food addicts and recovery anonymous well listen we might take another break g'day this is Jacob from Friday Rave if the week's politics have left you wondering whether it's you or the rest of the planet that's gone completely and utterly bonkers, join us at 5 o'clock each and every Friday for a Friday Rave here on 3CR, where we'll do our best to reassure you that it is actually you, and us. A Friday Rave, bringing the 5 o'clock drinks debrief to you, here on Community Radio 3CR. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Sandra and Anna about recovery from food addiction with the help of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. So, Anna, how did you eventually get help and how did you eventually find food addicts? Yeah, well, I, um, I, after, after you know years of starving and binging and over-exercising, I was really at a loose end. I, I thought, what else can I do? How can I really find a solution? And so I went to Google and I, I searched. I actually put the words food addict into Google and um, it brought up food addicts and recovery anonymous. And I went to a meeting and... I walked through the doors. There were about 20 people in the room and I was the, I was the biggest person in the room. So I've, I really felt like, wow, there must be a solution here. They must be doing something to stay in, an, in a normal-sized body and I really wanted to find out what that was. So, so I stayed for the meeting. So how did you find your first meeting? Did, did you identify with the people and what they were saying? Um, I'm not sure... If I, because I don't really know, to be honest. I don't think I heard a lot of what happened, but I was just astounded that there were people there in a normal-sized body and this, that maybe this could be a solution. And so I, or what we're encouraged to do is get a sponsor and we're encouraged to get a sponsor who has what we want and ask how that was achieved. And someone came up to me after the meeting and asked what I thought of the meeting and I just immediately asked that person to sponsor me and to get me started because I wanted to, really wanted to give this a go because really I was, I was incredibly desperate 
And I didn't care, really care what the solution was. I didn't even really know if this was it or if it was really going to work. But I just wanted in to start trying to start it. And, um, yeah, so, so that's what I did. And how soon did you start to feel that it was the right thing to do? Well, actually, immediately. I just felt like I was, I was in a solution. I was trying something. I was doing something about my problem. And so I was, I was really very happy about that. I was 87 kilos and 100, I'm 163 centimetres and I was 87 kilos when I came into the program and I lost 30 kilos in six months, which was amazing and that really helped me a lot. But what I didn't do is I didn't follow all the recommendations. I think I mentioned earlier that I wanted to do things my way. So I looked I looked at how could I cut corners and how can I get away with doing the bare minimum and how can I just do what I need to do with and, and get to the, the end result. So as a result, I lost 30 kilos, but I didn't really get a grasp on all the tools that we use in the program, and that includes a higher power, reading, staying in close contact with other fellows, journaling, practicing gratitude. And so I actually found myself in a very awkward position because I didn't have my drug, the food, to soothe me, medicate me, get me through the difficult difficult problems and deal with those, mainly my thinking around the fact that I wasn't good enough and I wasn't okay. I didn't have that food to do that with, but I didn't really have the tools either. And so I got to a point where I actually cried for a whole week and through that time, I realized that I needed to just really plug into the program, really accept what was being suggested and really practice the program. And having done that, I've made consistent progress ever since. I'll swap back to you, Sandra. So coming into food addicts then, what caused you to identify them as a solution? So, yeah, so I've been around a lot of other 12-step programs um, slowly, slowly over the years. Um, so I came into my first program at 21 and then I found FA at um, 27 and uh, there was just something different. Um, when I went into it, it was someone had left um, one of the meetings I was in and I had seen she, there's something, some clarity. There was just something something different. She just came to the meeting and said, oh, I won't be coming anymore. And then she left. So I bumped into her and um, I said, where have you gone? And she said, FA, Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous. And I had heard about it twice in my six years in, in 12-step programs. And I'd, I'd heard that they weigh and measure. And I was just kind of like, oh, I heard it, but it was like, what? Like, that sounds that sounds way too controlling. Um, so, you know, and I think I'd heard it once on the radio, actually, when I was in the middle of a big binge. So, <laughs> um, and so when she said that that's where she'd gone, I was kind of like, oh, no, okay, no problem. So I continued doing what I was doing, which was restricting my food, and then I went and had this massive binge, and then I was – my boyfriend at the time, I was like, right, we're going on a walk. And so we walk up these steep hills to burn off the calories and, you know, don't touch me, I feel fat and <laughs> all of that stuff. Um, 
And then at the end of that, you know, I just thought, oh, there's something wrong. You know, there's just something wrong with me. And there was something, you know, I'd seen something in her. So I rang her again, found out where the meeting was and went along. And, um, yeah, it was incredible. Um, there was this, the speaker at the front was someone I knew from from my other fellowship. Um, and just the clarity, the, you know, in a right-sized body, but there was like a twinkle in the eye. These people had something and, and they talk about its attraction rather than promotion and there was definitely something really attractive about um, what was being said in these rooms and basically what they were saying was, you know, I've been eating the way you have, saying all their own individual stories and then talking about how they hadn't eaten for, you know, one year, two years, some people were like five years abstinent, which means abstinent means not using your using food as a drug. Um, there was a very clear definition of abstinence. Um, it's very hard. How do you, if food is my drug and I have to eat to live, how do you do that? It's very hard. And what Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous has is a very clear definition of what abstinence is. Um, and then these people were able to keep, stick to that with the tools of the program. Um, so, yeah, it blew my socks off that first meeting. At the same time, you know, I was terrified. I was terrified. It was exciting. Um, and so... Someone came up to me in the break and said, do you want to sponsor? And I said, yes. I thought I'll just do it. And um, within that first week of, you know, bringing this sponsor, you know, being given a food plan, following the tools, I felt like a relief in my, in my spirit. So did you yeah. get over your obsession with food? So, yeah. So it took me a long time. Um but, you know, I kept coming. Um, my story is a lot of weight obsession and food obsession. So there's something um, in the rooms that we call um, is neutrality around food. So that basically means because in my story I could always, I could restrict my food. Um, when I actually came in I, I had, for whatever reason, I was a little bit underweight so I had to put on some weight which was the worst thing for someone like me, <laughs> but I knew I just had to follow the program. I'd been around for too long. So yeah, so I was obsessed for a long time, but this neutrality is where you're not, you know, I could not eat, not eat, not eat, but spend the whole time thinking about how I'm not eating. Um, so neutrality means that you just don't even think about the food anymore. Um, you know, I can be at a morning tea at work, um, I can be at a dinner, I can be at my parents where they're eating food that's my drug, basically sugar and flour and anything else that's not in my food plan, and I don't feel irritated by that. In my early days I did, <laughs> you know, because I it's my drug, I really wanted it, and people eating it triggered me. Um, but as I progressed and worked through the steps of this program, um, I was given that gift and, um, yeah, it's real freedom. It's freedom to be able to be in this world. And I don't, you know, people say to me, oh, because oh, they know me now, they know I don't eat that, don't eat sugar and flour and they'll say, oh, oh, do you feel bad? I'm eating a cake in front of you. And I'm like, no, seriously, I actually, I do not feel like I'm missing out on anything. 
Um, I've been restored to sanity. That food makes me very sick. I have a long history that tells me that. And now today um, I can see the truth that it's, it's an allergy. Like if I eat sugar and flour, it causes me to hate myself. It causes me to overeat. It could cause me to throw up again. Um, and so today, why would I want to do that? Um, it's harmful to me. And so it's free. It's like complete freedom. Um, I love my food. Um, I love my body today. I'm in a right size body. Um, it's functioning healthily. Like I used to, I, I stopped my periods from being underweight and now I'm functioning like a healthy woman. Um, so yeah, it's incredible what this program has done for me. So, Anna, what do you need to abstain from in FA? Oh, okay. Um, so I, I discovered when I went in that I was allergic to flour and sugar. And so I don't eat any flour products and I don't eat any sugar products. And I also need to abstain from quantities because, um, yeah, I, I'm also addicted to quantities. I like large volumes of food. So I am. I'm, I'm very careful now about what I eat. So, do you, have you lost the obsession with food? Yes, it sounds like you know when there's when there's sort of so much emphasis being put on the food that you that you might get even more obsessed. But because I know on a daily basis exactly what I'm eating, that actually takes all the guesswork and the the headache and the head miles out of um, food. I no longer have decision fatigue when it comes to food. It's all set down. I know what I'm eating and I just I just eat that and it really gives me a lot of peace and relief. Okay. The other one I was going to ask you about was family. How did your relationship with your family change? Okay, so I actually had quite a – being so negative, I actually had quite a difficult relationship with my family members and I actually – when I was – when I first came into FA, I hadn't spoken to one of my sisters for two years. And we really were a very close family. But as my disease progressed and I became more and more difficult to, to be around, um, the, my relationships became frayed. And so I, I wasn't speaking with my sister for two years. But through the 12 steps, I was able to repair my relationship with my sister, uh, to make amends to her and to heal that gaping hole, really, that was in, in our family. Um, and so now we can have connected family gatherings. We can all get together. Prior to that, if I was going, my sister wouldn't go. And it was really very, very awkward and difficult. Yep. But that I mean that family relationship has improved incredibly in fact all my relationships have improved okay thank you very much if anybody out there would like to find out more about food addicts in recovery anonymous then you can phone them on 1-800-717-446 or you can go online at foodaddicts.org that's about all we've got time for today so i'd like to thank sandra and anna for coming into the 3cr studio and sharing their food addicts in recovery anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, it's been a Bill. pleasure. I uh, hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about the impact of alcoholism on families and we'll be joined by some members of Al-Anon family groups. 
Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks again for listening to the Living Free program. And to take us out, we've got a song called Anything She Wants by the Russians.